right, you can have a seat as our kids head on back to Children's Church. I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and go to Philippians chapter 2. Now, now I failed to mention uh, earlier in, in my, uh, even though it was on my notes and I, I just completely overlooked it, if you're our guest this morning, if you would uh, fill out that portion of the bulletin and then place that in the offering plate when it comes by at the end of the service, just that, that tab. Um, and then also on the flip side of that, as always, is a place for you to fill out prayer requests. So if, if there's anything that we can be uh, praying for you uh, or, or someone you know, uh, fill that out, place that in the offering plate, and uh, we will pray over that during our Wednesday night prayer meeting as well. Um, this morning, I am beginning to test drive a new Bible translation. Uh, so, uh, I, I was given an advanced copy of a new translation that's coming out called the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, now, several years ago, there was, there was uh, uh, Holman Bible Publishers published the Holman Christian Standard Bible. This is an update to that, and that's what all of our LifeWay Sunday School material uses is the HCSB. They are updating that to the Christian Standard Bible, and like I said, I received an advanced copy of, of that, and so I decided to test drive it. Up till now, I've been using the English Standard Version. So, so hear me, don't immediately rush out and buy a new Bible, okay? I, I'm, I said, I'm test driving, kicking the tires on a new translation to see how I like it, and the only way I know to do that is to actually preach from it and to see how it works. Uh, so, uh, all of, uh, I've updated all the verses in the bulletin, updated all the verses on the screen to the Holman Christian Standard Bible, which is very close. So, so it will be, in many cases, identical. And then uh, the Christian Standard Bible launches uh, uh, completely in March. So that's when you'll be able to go to the stores and, and purchase them. So, as I said, just, just test driving a new one, kicking the tires on it, seeing how I like it. Um, there are a lot of good Bible translations out there, so I'll never say, unless you're using this one, you're like, like Jesus looks down on you. No, that's not, that's not how it works. There are a lot of good Bible translations. The important thing is that you are in your Bible, regardless of the translation you use. So this morning, we come to Philippians chapter 2. This is the second part of this three-part series that we're doing, Love, Serve, Give. Uh, now, two weeks ago, we looked at what it means to love God completely and what it means to love others compassionately. And we looked at the, the great command that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 22. Then last week, Stan Richardson was here from the Pregnancy Help Center, and he talked about some very practical ways we can get involved with the young ladies that come into the Pregnancy Center as a way to love, to serve, and to give uh, to, to ladies and young families that are really desperately in need uh, of a touch from God and, and to, sh to be shown the loving example of God's love. So this morning we, we come to Philippians 2 where we see what it means to, to serve. Uh, so if you will join with me, we're going to read in Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 11. So what the scripture says, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. 
Verse 5 says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and especially as we look at what it means to serve others. Will you, will you call us this morning not just to be better servants, but, but that we would serve as people who understand that Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life on our behalf. And we follow his example when we serve others. We know this is not something that comes naturally to us. It's something that that doesn't happen unless we've experienced a heart change. And so will you, uh, where it's needed, change our hearts, change our minds, change our actions, change our attitudes, so that we may be people who live lives pleasing to you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you. Um, So so the big idea that I have this morning, I have have kind of one overarching point, and then then about three that will uh, kind of explain what it looks like. So two weeks ago, we looked at loving God completely and loving others compassionately. And so my, my big idea this morning is that as we come to love God completely and, and to love others compassionately, we will serve God and others selflessly. So I, I didn't want these to be three completely standalone messages that, that have nothing to do with one another because I think they flow together. As we come to experience the love of God, and we come to love Him more, and that love uh, doesn't just bottle up in us, but it flows out to others, I think that naturally leads to us serving God and serving others selflessly, which then as we get into next week will lead us to give sacrificially. And so yeah, just, just know that one's coming next week, all right? We're going to talk about giving. But, but it's, it's not, so, so finances is a part of that, but not exclusively. But none of that happens unless we understand the love that God has for us and we, until we come to know his love and to share that love with others. That leads us to serve. Now, as we see in this text before us, we don't simply serve out of our own goodwill. And we don't serve simply so that we can prop ourselves up or so that we can put some sort of service on a resume We serve others selflessly because we have been served by Christ himself and because we are called to follow his example. So then I see three things in the text before us that is required in order for us to serve selflessly. And the first thing is simply this. Serving requires humility. Requires humility. We see this in verses 1 through 4. Paul writes, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, he says, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Right there, think about the words of unity that he just shared. 
And, and also, consider some of these words that he uses. So in, in the translation that I'm using, he's, he uses the words encouragement in Christ, consolation of love, fellowship with the Spirit, affection, and mercy. Now, by the way, we're in Philippians 2. So in Philippians 1, he talks about all these things that we have. The, the great encouragement that we can have in Christ. The consolation of love. The fellowship with one another. All these things do not come on our own. They come out of our relationship with Christ. So in other words, just like when we walked through Ephesians last year. And Paul in Ephesians spends the first three chapters talking about nothing but the gospel, laying the gospel out. And then in verse 4, he begins the application saying, this is how you live in light of the gospel. What we see here is he's saying, not just go be a good servant, not just go do better, do, do good things, and, and, and good job as you do. He's saying, rather, we serve because we understand what it means to have been served and loved by Christ. And, and as, as we come to understand the love of God, that flows out of us to those around us in service to them. And that requires humility. And he, starts, he begins talking about this humility in verse 3. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, is there a more countercultural text than these two verses right here? He's saying you don't just look out for number one, you look out for those around you, too. Consider others as more significant, more important than yourself. God change, not only does God change our economy, he changes the way we interact with our environment, with the way we interact with those around us. As long as there's an ounce of arrogance in your life, you will not serve others selflessly. And I will also say there is no room for arrogance in the life of a believer. No room. To, to be a believer, to, to claim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and yet to live with an air of importance and arrogance is to misunderstand the gospel and, and is to misunderstand your place in the gospel. Um, see, Paul recognizes. Now, now, keep in mind, in Philippians, Paul is writing these words from prison. One of the most famous passages out of the book of Philippians comes in chapter 4, where, where Paul declares, rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you missed it, I'm going to say it again. I say, rejoice. And we need to understand that he's writing that from prison as he's chained to a guard. So this whole passage, in it, this whole book of Ephesians is, is Paul writing about joy and how we can know joy in the Lord as he's sitting in a dark damp cell, chained to a guy who would probably just as soon break his neck as, as let him live. And yet, in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, this is what Paul says. He says, I want you to know, brothers, 
that what has happened to me, my being in prison, has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel. So that, has be, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is in the cause of Christ. I love that. You, see, you hear what he just said? Hey, listen, I wasn't going to let anybody walk into this jail without knowing I'm here because I'm preaching Christ Jesus. Now, can you, I mean, so, so imagine, like, he's chained to a guard, right? Several hours, like 24 hours a day, there is somebody chained to him. What do you think he's doing? He's preaching to the guy. And the guy didn't have a choice about it, right? I mean, he's, he's paid to be chained to Paul, and Paul's like, hey, how are you doing? Hey, have I told you about Jesus yet? Well, take a seat. It's going to be a long night, so let's go, right? So, so this is Paul saying uh, he, he understands that he has been saved for a purpose. Now, remember, Paul, Paul's very self-aware, so he remembers his life before coming to Christ. He remembers how he was very zealous in his pursuit and persecution of Christians. And he understands completely that apart from Christ, he would have no hope in the world. And so when he's thrown in prison for Christ, later on in Philippians he'll say, listen, for me to, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So basically, look, if God has me here, praise his name. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all I can to advance his kingdom for as long as possible. And, and when my time is done and, and my life is over, praise his name because I win. I'm on to glory. Like, what do you do with a guy like that? Paul, I'm going to throw you in prison. Okay. I'm going to convert all your jailers and then we're, we're going to sit there and preach until they, until they convert. Well, then I'll behead you. Cool. I win. Like, can you imagine the discussions that are happening? Like, what do we do with this guy, Paul? Like, nothing scares him. I'm going to torture We're, we're going to torture you. Okay, then, then in that case, I share in the sufferings of Christ. And, and through so doing, I might know him better. So, so bring it on. Do you, do you see the humility that, that's here? I am God's, and I'm only here because he saved me. Therefore, I am, I am open to being used by him in whatever way he decides is best for my good and for his glory. So, so by the way, if you're here and, and you, you sense some arrogance in your life, uh, let, let me run through some verses that, that I, I'm going to try to kill your arrogance, okay? Um, because as I said, there's no room for arrogance in the life of a believer. And so if you have any tendency whatsoever to look down your nose at somebody or, or to, to judge uh, your goodness based on someone else's badness, uh, let me, I'm going to knock your feet out from underneath you, okay? I'm not, I'm not even going to mask it. That's my goal. So if, so if you're here and you have arrogance, my, my goal is to just completely pull your legs out from underneath you. And that that, 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 that pride and that arrogance might collapse. Um, and, and I make no apology for it. So, so Ephesians 2.1, Okay. So if you come in and you're like, man, God, God is so lucky that I decided to, to, to become a Christian because if I was serving Satan, like, like God would have his hands full with me. Um, this is what uh, Paul says to you. Ephesians 2.1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So, so I, I'm not even sure I need to go on. I mean, I'm going to, but, but at this point, like, like Paul says, listen, you're dead. You think you, you think you were so awesome before you came to Christ? You, you're dead apart from him. When it comes to interacting with people who don't know Christ, 
keep this in mind. They live the way they live. They act the way they act because of where they are. Don't be surprised when a lost person acts lost. Don't be shocked when a person the Bible says is without hope in the world tries to fill their life with something, trying to find a shimmer of hope. Don't, don't be surprised when, when those people who are living in the dark grasp around trying to just find something they can hold on to in the middle of the dark. But oh, friends, don't let them stay in the dark. Don't be content with letting a lost friend stay lost. Don't let dead people remain dead. We have a God who delights in bringing life to those who were once dead, to finding those who were once lost, and to shining a light where there is darkness. Ephesians 2.12. As I said, I don't think I need to go on, but I'm going to. Um, At that time you were without the Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the promise to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Now the you he, he shares there is plural. All right? I'm from Texas. We say y'all. In the Greek, they didn't have y'all. All right? so, so. He's saying, so it's not just you were dead. He's saying y'all. He's writing, and remember, he's writing to believers. He's writing to people at the church in Ephesus here. And he's saying, all of us, without exception, apart from Christ, were without hope in the world. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. So this was our stance, right? Ephesians 2, 1, he says you were dead. Uh, Ephesians 2, 12 says you're without hope. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, he comes in and he says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. It'd be like getting a gift on Christmas morning and you act and you acting like you earned it. I'm not gonna lie, I jumped. That, That scared me a little bit. That would be like getting a gift on Sunday morning and you becoming proud and arrogant saying, man, I sure was good this year, right? No, you weren't. Your parents had mercy on you. That's why you got good gifts, right? If, if Christmas gifts were really based on merit, all of us would get a lump of coal. That's the way it works. But it's not. No, gifts come because you are loved unconditionally. And it's the same way here. So he says we, we were saved not because of anything good that we've done, not because God looked at you and went, and went man, I, I, I got to have them on my team. Like, like, I really, I did a good job when I created them. Now I got to save them so that they'll keep on being awesome. No, that's not the way it works. You, you were saved in spite of yourself, not because of yourself. And then Galatians, uh, 1 Corinthians 1.31, Paul says, uh, as it is written, the one who boasts, 
must boast in the Lord. In, in Galatians 6.14, he says, But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. He says, the only thing I have to boast about is Christ and what he has done in my life. Then 2 Corinthians 12, 9. By the way, right before this, Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. And we don't really know what that is. Um, some people think that was maybe some kind of a physical ailment. Uh, some people think maybe he had a, uh, he had, he had a, a vision problem, that, that his eyesight wasn't good. Uh, I've even read some commentators who think that his thorn in the side was his wife. <laughs> okay, so, so do with that what you will, all right? But he prayed three times that it would be removed from him, right? <laughs> so, so listen, there was something that was going on in Paul's life that, that was uncomfortable. And he says, I prayed to the Lord three times. I begged the Lord, remove it. Because I can serve you better without this thing. So, so I don't think it was his wife, okay? I'm just, I'm just saying, that's a possibility. It's out there. I, I think it was, I, I think he had some sort of physical ailment. I think, I think, from, from reading in some other areas, I think it was probably his eyesight. I think his eyesight was poor. And, and he says, I, I, so, so it's possible that that's what he's referring to when he talks about his thorn in the flesh. And he says, I prayed to the Lord three times, God, take this away. I could serve you so much more effectively without this issue. And then in 2 Corinthians 12.9, he gives God's response. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, Paul's saying, God, I could serve you better if you took this thing away. And God says, no, you, no, you couldn't, because you'd be relying too much on yourself. And I want you to rely on me. Therefore, he says, I will, boast glad, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. Any effectiveness we have in the gospel is not because of how great we are. It's because of how great God is. And because he uses fallen, broken, busted people again and again and again. Not to display your awesomeness, but to display his greatness. And listen, until we get a grasp of this, we will never be freed to serve. Until your identity is secure in Christ, you will never be freed to serve selflessly. Secondly, serving requires sacrifice. And he immediately jumps in here and tells us that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Look with me again, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. It says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. Again, there, even though we're not specifically talking about humility right here, we see an example of Christ's humility on our behalf. He took, uh, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. See, what Paul's saying here is if anyone in the history of mankind had any reason to be arrogant, it would have been Jesus. 
because he was equal with God himself. And yet, he said, Christ emptied himself. Taking the form of a servant. He left all the riches and the glory that he knew from eternity past in the presence of the Father in heaven to be born in the equivalent of a barn. He left the mansions and the splendor of heaven to work with his hands as a carpenter. He left the angels praising him to walk dusty roads. And he left everlasting glory to suffer a brutal and agonizing death in your place and in my place. Serving requires sacrifice. It requires a sacrifice of your time. And in many cases, it will require a sacrifice of your money. And we'll talk more about that next week. Do you see why I say unless we, we have a glimpse of who God is and who we are in Him and we're humbled by that realization, we will not be freed to serve. Remember in Matthew chapter 20, the disciples are walking along the road with Jesus and a couple of them start talking and, and, and they start arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God or in Christ's kingdom. Because remember, at this point, they're still thinking that Jesus is marching to Jerusalem and he's going to walk in, snap his fingers, and tell Herod to get out. And he's going to assume his place on the throne in Jerusalem. So the disciples are, are walking down the road. They've been with him for, for the past couple of years and they start talking, hey, so, so, so you guys know we're going to have pretty sweet places in the new kingdom, right? So, so who do you think is going to be on his right side? In other words, who, who do you think he's, is going to be his most trusted advisor? Who's going to be the vice king? Which, which of us? And they start arguing about it. I imagine Peter going, well, guys, I'm a fisherman. You, you see, the, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the vice king. And, and in chapter 25, Jesus turns to them. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 says, But Jesus called them over and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them, and the men of high position exercise power over them. Look at verse 26. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I dare say if the disciples at this point understood what Jesus was heading for in Jerusalem, they wouldn't be arguing about who his closest associate was going to be. In fact, remember on the night in the garden when they finally realized that, that things are not going to turn out the way they hoped, they all scatter, run for their lives. Serving requires sacrifice. And, and and what I love about the example that Christ set for us is he didn't just tell us this from on high, right? 
listen, if, you're, if you want to serve me, you've got to give up some time. You've got to give up some of your treasures. You've got to give up some of these things. It's going to require sacrifice. He showed us. He set the example for us in showing us what it means to sacrifice. Well, I don't have the time. It costs too much. Oh, how about this one? Well, people don't appreciate it. Now, listen, it's true, right? It, it, it's true. Anybody ever worked as a waiter or waitress? Pe- people don't appreciate it. And yet, how many times have we not appreciated to the full extent Christ's sacrifice on our behalf? And aren't you glad he didn't go, well, if you don't appreciate it, I'll just take it back. See, serving makes us uncomfortable. Because it's not a natural response for a human to say, I'm, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to lay down my life for yours. That's not a, that's not a natural reaction on our part. It requires a supernatural motivation. To say, I'm going to serve. No strings attached. I'm going to serve. And then we see here, beginning in verse 9, why we ultimately serve God and serve others. Because it glorifies God. Glorifies God. This is your entire purpose for living. In fact, English Puritan by the name of Thomas Watson said this, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So listen, if anyone ever asks you, well, what's the purpose of life? Why am I here to glorify God and to enjoy him forever? Verse 9. Philippians 2, verse 9. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, 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 hear me. Thomas Watson said the chief end of every man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The first part you have no choice in. You will glorify God. Every knee will, con- will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. The question is, will you confess and declare Jesus Christ is Lord and the next breath you take is in glory or the next breath you take is in eternal separation from Him? The question is not whether you will bow and declare. The question is how you'll bow and declare. For believers in Christ, we have have an immense opportunity to bow our knees here, to confess in this life Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and to begin to understand what it means not just to glorify Him, but to enjoy Him forever. So if this is our chief end, imagine the horror not of enjoying Him forever, but of being separated from Him forever. See, see, I will long argue that the most terrifying 
most destructive part of hell is not whatever physical anguish is there. The worst part is the spiritual separation from Almighty God. So, so, so hear me. If serving God requires humility and it requires sacrifice, but ultimately it brings glory to Him. If you make your chief end glorifying yourself, serving yourself, because listen, you, you will sacrifice something. You will either sacrifice eternal joy for, for temporary happiness. If you try to make yourself the point, you will be sorely disappointed every time. And there will always feel like you're missing something because you were not created to serve yourself. You were created to serve Almighty God. So to see the glory of God increase in our day, increase in our nation, increase in our world, increase in our community, is why we love others compassionately. Why we serve others selflessly so that they might come to know the great love and the service and the sacrifice that God has made on their behalf through Jesus Christ. And that His glory and His name would increase. So where do we start? Does it start with loving God? Does it start with serving Him? Does it start with giving? Yes. These aren't linear, all right? So it's not like, well, I have to love God first, and then He'll teach me to serve, and then He'll teach me to give. No, listen. If, if you feel your love for God waning, dive in and start serving somewhere. And see if that doesn't cause you to love God and love others more. As you serve and you begin to experience the need that people have in their lives, see if that doesn't cause you to be more generous. Start by giving yourself. Giving you your time, your talent, and your treasures. We're going to dive into those next week. But begin to give. And, and as you see God working through your willingness to give. See if that doesn't cause your love for him to increase and your desire to serve with your hands as the hands and the feet of Jesus. If you don't have a desire to serve or give, dive into the scriptures and see what God has said about who he is and who you are and the great love that he has for you and the love he wants to show to others and see if that doesn't cause you to want to serve the way he served and to love the way he loved. See, like I said, these aren't linear. These are it's cyclical. One feeds the other, which feeds the other. Galatians 5, 13. Paul tells us, For you were called to be free. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. See, what he's saying here is, is in Christ, God has set you free from the power of sin and death in your life. And you have freedom, which means you have a freedom to choose. 
don't use it. Don't use that freedom as an opportunity to make yourself the point. Use that freedom to serve one another in love. My prayer for First Baptist Church is that we will come to know the love of God. We'll come to experience firsthand the great love that He has for us and the love that He has for other people. And that would cause us to love Him more. Cause us to love others more. And as we come to experience that love, it would pour out in our acts. That we would serve, first of all, those in our church, selflessly. Because listen, if if we're not willing to serve the other members of the body of Christ will never learn to serve an outside world. But then that'll pour out and we'll encourage and stir one another on to serve those in the world. There are many opportunities we have to serve the folks in our community. Susan, I bet you're needing volunteers fairly regularly, are you not? As we, as we heard last week, Stan needs volunteers at, at the Pregnancy Help Center. You want to start somewhere? Grab a vacuum cleaner. You can serve right here. There's, there, listen, there are ways to serve the Lord by serving other people. Maybe you're here and you've never come to know Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. So when we talk about serving selflessly and considering others more important than yourself, that, that it, just, it sounds foreign. It's like we're speaking another language. In a way, we are. <laughs> we're, we're speaking the language of love driven by a forgiveness that is out of this world. So maybe you need to come and experience the the love, mercy, forgiveness that's available to you through Christ's sacrifice on the cross in your place. And If that's the case, myself or Chuck will be down front as we begin to sing in a few moments. We'd love to share with you about what that means. Maybe you're here and you already know God's laying on your heart some, some way that you need to serve someone in your life. Whether that's someone in this room or, or a neighbor or a co-worker, a friend, classmate, whatever. Will you follow? As I said a couple weeks ago, I'm not, I'm not asking you to commit. I'm not, I'm not asking you to, to take it all on yourself and, and just to, to man up and, and be better. But, but will you take that step of faith? Will you follow where the Lord's leading you? And then see where he leads you from there. Let us be committed as a church to love God completely, to love others compassionately, and to serve wherever whenever and to whatever he calls us let's pray father we thank you for this morning we first of all are humbled by the way that you have loved and served us even though we were so unworthy oh god as our eyes are opened to to the lengths that you went to serve us not sparing your own son but sending him to die in our place would would that spur us on to serve others in the same way? Because we honestly say that we are people who consider others as more important than ourselves and put the needs of others before our own. 
that there will be a church of husbands who put their wives first and wives who put their husbands first and parents who consider their children before themselves and children who consider their parents before themselves. And God, that we would serve one another because of the great love that you've shown us. It's no secret that, that we are lousy at these things on our own. We can't do them. It's completely contrary to the nature within us. And so, will you grant us mercy, grace, forgiveness when we fail? And oh, we know we'll fail. But will you grant us the courage and the strength and open our eyes to the opportunities we have to serve one another and to serve a world that's so desperate for some sort of concrete answers. Lead us and we will follow. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.